Welcome to No See Feel, the market show number eight. I'm Patrick, your host for the week. Let me introduce you to my amazing co-host. First, from Florida, we have Max. And then from our, the beautiful state of Hawaii, we have Everson. Now, before we get started, just, let me just remind everyone that this show is for entertainment purposes only. Uh, anything we say, like... Everything that's in, on in the internet is a lie and fake news. So please make sure that you consult your local professional and don't hold us accountable for your investing. Now, before we get started, uh, we got some feedback from some of the viewers that would like us to have a little bit more structure in the show. So we're going to try a new format this week, uh, just to, in the spirit of this new format. Uh, the first part of the show, we're going to talk about oil. It's been a pretty big topic this week. And then in the back half of the show, we'll try to answer some of the questions that were left unanswered last week, uh, notably the options Greeks and how we use them. And then Everson is going to talk to us about uh, resistance when we're looking at, at the charts and how you use that for or against your trades. So why don't we get started? Let's kick, th let's kick things off with Everson. Everson, like, what did you do this week and what did you see in the market? So this week, uh, I did really well with Snapchat. I had a, I had a feeling that Snapchat was going to pop out of all those oh, social snap. media companies. Oh, snap. <laughs> So I ended up uh, I ended up selling off the shares that I had before. Uh, I probably had maybe about ten percent more room to grow, um, but I sold short and profitability. Uh, let me see. I think I did. That doesn't show me what percent of profitability I I had uh, occurred, but I I guesstimate that I probably had done. About one one fourth, so about twenty five percent gain on this one. And I sold uh, about the uh, actual stock, uh, so twenty five percent. Not let's just say thirty percent, because I think it was a little higher. Uh, so good profitability on that. Uh, that's the biggest trade on my conservative account. Yeah, conservative. It was a conservative trade. <laughs> Anytime I buy stock directly, it's a conservative trade. If I'm buying options, then it's it's more of a risk on my safe safer money i did do some reallocations on the 401k um, and i think i did it in the beginning of the week uh, so i adjusted to more bonds uh, so i moved into the bonds market um, some government uh, funds and then i also i stayed in with large cap companies and i got out of the small cap companies just because i think that you have a little more cushion space with the cash and assets um, Wait, are, you talk, are you talking about your stocks or bonds for the uh, high cap companies? Uh, with the S and P five hundred large cap, so it's in the it's in our four hundred one k s platform. So I just made a little bit of an adjustment there. So I, I got out of the the mid the small to mid cap, and I got into the, the large cap funds. Uh, as far as Hico took a little bit of a dip. I, I, I'm at like negative. 4.77%. But like I said, you know, it's, I think, Hiko, Hawaiian Electric, um, Stock Ticker, HE. Um, I mentioned last week that, you know, yeah, I think it's come down a little bit. Maybe you go down to about $35 per share, but I think it comes back up again. Um, so I'm, I'm still going to be a buyer of that. It sits on a 3.34% dividend yield, so I'm comfortable with a 3. Um, three four percent dividend yield, and I plan to hold this for a long term. Uh, just knowing Hawaii and being in Hawaii, it 
it, it's something that I think will return value over time. As far as my risk, risk trades, um, as you guys know, I've been getting killed with the options market. So I took a step back to just do a little evaluation on everything. Um, I love that. I love that. Yeah. So what I what I ended up doing was um, any anytime anytime I'm getting bit by the market or by the game, what I tend to do is I tend to lean more towards um, safe money, and the safe money for me would be actually acquiring stocks. So I bought in some positions with stocks that I I, I think have value. Uh, so I'm a buyer of uh, Gilead. Uh, Gilead is, 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 you know, isn't a favorite of the both of you. It's a pharmaceutical company, uh, but they have an HIV drug that they're testing for the coronavirus, and um, that was on recent news. Since my uh, acquisition of Gilead, I'm up 2.61%, and with Costco, I'm up 1.51%. So I'm, I'm at good levels of profitability with both of them. I think I have like a $300 gain for Costco, and I probably have like a $7,900 $79 gain for Gillid. So a little lower on the Gillid, I bought a little less shares than I would with Costco. I just have a stronger conviction of, of Costco. So, um, And then I, I made mistakes with uh, you know some options that I'd rather not mention at the time. <laughs> hey, Everson, um, just yeah. for the viewers, uh, before we move on to Max. So, like, yeah. you said that you analyzed what you were doing wrong, um, like, without going into necessarily the specifics of each option. Like, is there something that makes it so this week you had trouble when, like, a month ago you were killing it? Well, I mean, it was a good, it, it, regardless, the profitability from Snapchat, would, I mean, it, it set me up for the month. Uh, so I'm not too concerned about it, uh, and I, I kind of noticed that every one one to two months I do a pretty good gain. Um, but I think what happens, and when you look at your thesis, you kind of analyze everything. So the th it's always going back to the thesis, and when I look at it, I I tend to break out of my thesis when I do good gains, and it's it's a habit that I've been noticing in my trade. Because I like to take a little more risk, you know. Oh, you ate a little money. Let's take. Let's take a little risk. <laughs> Everyone so that's does it. Basically, what happened is I, I just took a little risk, and it's not it's not too much of a big deal. Um, but I this is a risk that I took on um, prior because I had made a little bit uh, from gold. So basically, I'm giving the gold its money back. <laughs> so I bought GLD and I got this. This is the wrong week, but it is what it is. Well, the reason I said I love it is because, you know, something wasn't working and you took a step back just to analyze right. yourself. Oh, well, yeah, I love that part. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you that. have to. I mean, it, it, if you don't, you get too emotional and your, when your emotions get too involved, then you get to a point where you just get bit all the time. And I don't like to get, I don't like to get bit. Okay. <laughs> what about you, Max? What did you see this week? What did I see this week? Uh, it looks like uh, that up uh, trend channel that we've been mentioning for about two weeks now, it's still intact, still uh, sort of moving up, even though last week was a little bit sideways. But it's still within the uh, the parameters of that, that channel. Um, like uh, we've talked a lot, I am uh, heavily invested in oil. 
and oil dropped significantly, or as more specifically, U.S. oil. And because U.S. oil, the way they ha they they take control of the contracts, the futures, they own about 25% of the futures for May. So USO by themselves actually tank oil prices, and the price of oil actually uh, hurt the market, which was phenomenal to watch. One little uh, USO right. actually affected the entire market. So as it was dropping down, I kept selling in the money, and so it accelerates how much money you uh, you collect during that period. My puts, um, since I was generating so much money with selling the, the calls, um, it allowed me to have a budget to hedge the position with uh, some puts, which actually made some money. And what was interesting is that uh, I, I love adjusting. In fact, I love adjusting more than just creating a new position and developing the ideas to get into a new position. Um, but I basically got to the point where I didn't trust USO to not go to zero. And, uh, you know, if, if an entity goes down to zero, if a stock goes to down to zero, I can't adjust anymore. You know, the game's up. Um, so I actually made that transition and went to uh, to my favorite, uh, silver. So uh, yeah. now I'm in silver, and uh, it's stabilized, and uh, going to crank up that income again. Max's dream of filling a vault with silver. <laughs> <laughs> it's so That's cheap like, uh, right now. Yeah, and on my end, I had very, very rough week, kind of like Max. As everyone knows, I was heavily involved in oil, and... <laughs> Uh, you know, even at some point, hedging doesn't work. For example, as it was going down, like Max, I was doing in-the-money calls, but it dropped so significantly, so quickly, that it just went straight through it. Uh, as a matter of fact, early in the week, when it was at 3.04, I set my covered call at 2.50, and within two hours, it was at 2.30. So, uh, even though I had that money covered, um, you know, you always, you already were, I was already starting to lose more than like what the hedge was giving. And exactly as we'll talk about in a few minutes, uh, when we talk about USO in a little bit more depth, but like we, we just couldn't trust that it would survive next month. So at that point, I just had to take my losses, lick my wounds, and move on to the next thing for now. Just because of the fact that, like, as Max said, if it goes to zero, it's game over. You can't crawl your way back. Like, you can't claw your way back if it goes to zero. So that gives us a good opportunity to get right into oil. Not just USO, but oil in general, what's been going on in the market, what can we expect, and uh, what can we do to profit from it. So let's start with Everson. I know you've been following it a little bit. I'll give in my two cents afterward, but uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about oil in general, like the current market, if you don't mind? Um, well, I actually haven't been looking too much in, into oil recently. I know I was trailing it uh, with the US ESO, I, I'm sort of still a little skeptical about getting into oil at the moment. Um, I know it's reaching its bottom, but I, I like what you said, uh, Max, about the, the bubble and how oil that one day just brought the whole entire market down. I mean, we had, we had a possible stimulus check that was ready, and I think it was even approved in that same day, but that, that oil 
factor was so huge that it brought the market down. I mean, I I got I got to take it back to 2008 when we had the recession, right? Um, back then it was the financial crisis and it was also the mortgage, uh, you know, bubble bubbles popping bubbles. So this this is something that can take entire markets down, right? Um, but the adjustments that the the markets make, uh, we were talking about, you know, oil going down to zero. I had to do a comparison. We had to talk about this after this show last week. Is Liberty TripAdvisor Holdings? Um, the, I think it was trading at what was it the preferred share or something? The uh, stock ticker is LTRPB. So what had happened is uh, obviously no one's planning any trips anytime soon. We, we can't even you know necessarily get on a plane comfortably these days and be able to fly it's without comfortable. There's through. just like four other people on the right? plane with you. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> right. comfortable. Well, it's, it, it's comfortable, but the stigma I think plagues on people's mindset. But right. uh, so, but if you if you look at that stock, it they they scrapped the options and the stock popped like what was it like nine hundred to a thousand percent? It's ridiculous. So we were talking about that after the show. Um, uh, last week, and it, it's just interesting uh, the manipulation that happens in the market, and that's purely a manipulation play when you when you say no more options. I think the same thing is going to happen. I mean, why wouldn't it happen to the oil industry? Why why don't we see a bounce back? I mean, you know, we, we're going to have a dependency at some point on oil, so you know it's coming. But at the same time, uh, I here's what I would say: if we start to see because I know last week, I, I believe it was on a Thursday, the petroleum sector, a lot of the petroleum energy stocks, anything tied in with oil, a lot of them popped about 32%. And then we saw a little pullback. But there there is sort of a confidence. But that, that was after uh, Trump had said that he would start to work a little bit on uh, the oil uh, markets a little more. So... We do see the confidence sort of restoring itself. It is all dependent upon OPEC, and I, I think no one understands it better than you, Patrick. So I was hoping that you would shed some light uh, with your research and what you found. Right. So just here. let's let's just backtrack a little bit because I'm not sure like how much the audience knows about the current situation. So yeah, we yeah. know that there's the oil war, but that's they got into an agreement. But the thing is that they the cuts that they made isn't enough based on what every analyst believes is a destruction in demand right now. And so what caused the, so there's two main uh, types of oil that are being tracked. There's the Brent crude, and then there's right. the West Texas intermediate. So when we're talking about oil, you know, everyone has to remi remember that there's multiple uh, types that are uh, being tracked, but the two main ones are Brent and WTI. And what happened this week is that uh, two weeks ago, all of us, we all agree that oil has to go back up eventually, right? Yeah. But what happened is two weeks ago, uh, USO, which is an ETF, got a massive influx of money, $1.6 billion from a lot of retail investors like us who believe that oil has to go back up. So everyone is buying USO thinking that they're betting on the spot price of the oil. But that's not what happened. 
And the way that the fund is structured, you're not buying someone else's shares. They create more shares every time like someone new joins the company. And what that does is that they got that massive influx of new people, and then they had to deploy that money. So for the, as Max mentioned earlier, for the contract of May, uh, West Texas Intermediate, they held about 25% of the entire amount of contracts. Well, what they do, their whole fund, uh, like their strategy to invest is they buy contracts in the future, and then once they're two weeks before expiration, they sell them. Typically, with oil, uh, current prices are higher than futures. So they buy cheaper in the future, they wait, and then they sell it at a premium. But now the reverse is true because no one wants oil right now because most of the main hub for WTI is in Cushing, Oklahoma. Okay, And I've been tracking every week the storage reserves and um, their max theoretically is 76 million barrels well every week it goes up about 5 million barrels right so what happens is and the you know 76 minus 59 there's some space left but all that space is already rented by major companies so it, you know in reality even though there's that 17 million it's not there like there is no storage left so all right. those people that had contracts for May that are traders, not they're not companies that store oil, right? They're just traders. Well, they can't store it. So what are they going to do with it? The only thing that they could do was massively drop and drop and drop the price, hoping to find someone to get it off their ends. And that's why we saw minus $37 a barrel, which, think about it, that's crazy, right? But there was just no one to take it from them. So that explains uh, the massive drop this week. Now, going back to USO, the problem with USO, as we were saying, is that they buy from the future and they sell currently. Well, luckily for them, they had exited those contracts already for May. So that didn't crush them initially. But the problem is that everyone knows that they have to sell June's contracts starting early May. Everyone knows it, and they have they add 150,000 futures contract for uh, June. So knowing that everyone is betting against USO, so it just dropped and dropped and dropped. Actually, cratered basically um, to the point where now they're doing a reverse split to increase the value, so that you know if it's 20 bucks, it looks a little bit better than it's if it's 250. So we, I got hurt badly with it just because of the fact that it, when it was dropping slowly, we could just offset it by selling the calls. As I mentioned on the show previously, I mean, in March, I made $13,000 just in cash flow from selling them. But at some point, it dropped, it dropped so sharply that you just can't keep up with it. And that's how I took the losses. I hope it explains a little bit for the viewers, like what happened with oil this week. Now, I just want to uh, go on to how can we actually profit from it. So personally, I believe that the best play would be to actually do what USA, uh, USO used to do and buy long-term 
contracts because we all agree that it's going to go up eventually. The problem with them is that they were buying contracts two months ahead of time and selling it one or rather they were buying the front month and then reselling it. Um, but if you bought it way in the future, like a year from now, that would be the big play. But I'm not getting into it. Um, I'm looking more at potential companies that are uh, in the oil industry that will benefit from the rebound, but that are a little bit more uh, stable, that don't depend on the contracts, uh, on the futures that actually depend on the spot price of oil. For example, the oil companies that have refineries, uh, I know that Everson likes the companies that actually do storage. That's a good play. And then I started looking into uh, another ETF, XLE, but XLE is actually an equities uh, fund. So they own companies, not just futures. Uh, right. So what about you, Max? Like, What are you looking at? I'm sorry I talked for a little while there. Uh, well, I just wanted to talk a little bit about um, U.S. oil. And uh, so oil is going to go up, right? We all know that's going to happen. Uh, but it's going to go up without me. I'm not going to bet on it. I'm, gonna make, I'm not going to make positions on it. The reason is because it looks like uh, the virus is extending its life. Uh, plus, we might have that second cycle in the, in the fall. So we're not going to increase the uh, the consumption of oil anytime soon. Uh, so it doesn't make sense for me. Uh, I project that oil is going to go up. It's going to have one more pop in its life. Um, but the, the biggest quote that's in my head right now is, the Stone Age didn't end because we ran out of stone. And so once we, we sort of stop using oil, there will, still be, there will be oil around. We just won't use it. We'll have better technology, renewable energy. Um, and the other thing that's in my head is is I, I love watching Belichick and the decisions he makes for his organization. And he always sells his assets a little too early because it's always better than too late. Uh, so I'm actually, I, I've crossed off oil from my uh, entire strategy plan. And uh, so natural gas and oil are off my list. And so that's why I'm into uh, silver. So you're talking about football analogies. I'm a Green Bay Packers fan. And as, as everyone knows it, that, you know, Jordan Love, we picked up Jordan Love. Like, you got a lot of haters about it. But, you know, going from a management standpoint, we look forward to the future. So we protect our assets in the future. And that's probably why I'm a, a Green Bay Packers fan. I like to protect my assets in the future. So I like that analogy. We, we always got an analogy somehow. We throw one in there <laughs> we <try. laughs> every week. But yeah, I totally agree with you. Personally, I'm very excited to see... Are you a Green see... Bay Packer fan too? No, but... <laughs> oh, okay. I'm very excited to see what's going to happen with the June future um, contract. Is it going to happen the exact same thing that happened to the May one? Because right now it's pretty good. Like The prices aren't too bad. It actually went back up significantly in the past few days. But... As we get closer and closer to the expiration date, is the same problem going to happen where everyone is scrambling to know, uh, to see, uh, to find out what they're going to do with their contract and find desperately find a buyer for it? Um, that's going to be really interesting. So until we 
figure that out, I'm not getting into it, right? I'm, I'm right. totally on your side. I'm waiting and seeing what's going to happen. But eventually, once all that settles, I think that's going to be a good opportunity, right? Oh, definitely. Definitely. It's just a matter of finding which companies are going to be... Because Everson mentioned it, uh, the government made it clear that they were going to support the industry no matter what. Right now, we're already seeing companies going bankrupt. There's uh, a lot of wells that are being shut in, which means that they're not producing. Uh, there's thousands and thousands of people being laid off and furloughed. So naturally, the supply is going down. You know, so that we know that the demand yeah. is crippled, but the supply and the market, yeah. and then the government's going to come in and bail these companies out. So your yeah. supply is not going to change. So what, once I heard the government's coming in to bail people out, I'm like, this doesn't make sense. This is not capitalism anymore. No, absolutely. Yeah, and that's another thing too. Is you know, anytime any entity, it doesn't matter if it's the government or, or whatnot. It could be uh, financial institutions. Like I said, you know, I don't think it was a government thing that made Liberty TripAdvisor um, the, the stock pop like that. I mean, that's got to be a big investor that created such volume. But the the manipulation is here. You The stock pops, and they said, oh, we don't know what happened. I mean, it just it just popped. Uh, we're, we're going back on that uh, ticker symbol LTRPB. And then you cut the option availability, so you can't short it. Well, maybe you could short it. I've never tried it. But you definitely can't do an option puts on it. And the sentiment would be, hey, it's gone up 900%. It's about to come down. It doesn't have any business. And it doesn't come down. It, it, it comes down, yeah, sure, at $37 from 40 That's not realistic. I mean, it, it loses $10. It doesn't belong up there. It's trading at about... What was it, like $2 per share? It's probably looking like it was going down to a penny stock again. And then it, it, it creates a value that's just astronomical. Like, it's trading at levels like it's a, a, a American Express or something, you know? And it, <laughs> it's not even creating that kind of business. It's not it's not creating any stream revenue. So how can it happen like that? Pure manipulation. So to understand that, you got to be vigilant. And that's why... Monitoring your risks and sticking, staying clear to your thesis. Like Patrick and I, we got that right. Um, we're staying clear to our thesis. We're staying clear to our risk and kind of balancing our odds out that way. So, yeah, I mean, you can't win all of them. Um, but I think that something that's really interesting about uh, USO ETF is I honestly, I'll be honest with you guys, I didn't realize that an ETF like that could go to zero, but. Uh, when you're dealing with uh, paper trades, like contracts and stuff like that, as opposed to the spot price, they could go negative. That's what's interesting. I honestly, I never imagined that. You know, you're thinking oil, oil, oil is always going to have some value, but in this case, it actually went to minus 37. So that's what made it. So when we realized that, you know, it really literally could go to zero. That's when. The only thing we could do was get on the sidelines and wait for it to pass because after that there's no way to recover. So that's that's a lesson we always like. We don't know everything. You're always learning. Um, one of the things that we like in silver is that, um, for example, one of the ETF that we use is SLV, 
same for a GLD that Everson talked about earlier, they own physical gold and silver. So they can't physically the go to zero. Though. Yeah, yeah. So they cannot go to zero because their assets are always going to have value unless silver and gold go to minus 37, but I don't see that happening. What do you think, Max? So let, let me just jump in real quick. They can always go to zero. It's just the likeliness of going to zero is very small compared to U.S. oil. Yeah. Do you mind elaborating? Oh, so what's the question? No, but I mean, <laughs> why do you feel like, I, I agree with you, but why do you feel like one can go to zero and not another one uh, for the viewers? Um, so it, it's like what you were talking about. U.S. oil is purchasing these contracts, and they're not designed to take uh, the asset, the oil itself. Um, so they're just trying to speculate and make a trade here. Um, and so when they can't sell that contract, the futures, then they're screwed because they have to find someone to take this oil. Plus, you sort of have to be close to a pipeline to take the, uh, the to actually take the contract of the futures. And something uh, so that's, that's important to, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but something that's very important for people to know is that they follow the prospect. There's funds that are actively managed and there's funds that are passively managed. So in a case like this, they follow the procedures that are in the prospectus. So the prospectus said we buy contracts and then we sell two weeks before the expiration. So that's what they're doing regardless if it's the optimal play or not. In this case, to me, the optimal play would be find storage, buy your oil, and eventually resell it at profit. But because they followed the prospectus, they couldn't do that, right? Right. I mean, they just create that strategy of how they're going to be run. Um, and so that's what I was saying a little bit earlier. US oil has a chance to go down to zero. They could get dissolved. Uh, it's a higher percentage than SLV. I, I want to reiterate that SLV could go to zero, GLD could go to zero. It's just the likeliness is a lot lower. And, you know, the price of silver would have to drop dramatically in order for something like that to happen, uh, which wouldn't because as the price of silver drops, just like you saw when it dropped down to 1078, a uh, flux of people just came in and bought as much as possible. Uh, and what's interesting is, is SLV, I've been watching it for a very long time, probably five, six years, and it's always about a dollar below the, the real strike, uh, the, the real silver price. But if you actually try to buy real physical silver, you're going to see that the price is about 1890 to 1950 Why? Because there's a lack of silver everywhere, and there is that manipulation that's going on, but I'm not worried about that. I just want to have an underlying that I can collect my rent um, and, and just do it that way. I, I'm very secure with uh, silver. It is the third cheapest um, asset right now. Like I, I mentioned, natural gas is the cheapest. There just isn't really a good uh, underlying that I trust uh, to represent natural gas. And then you have oil, which uh, I think might have one more pop, but it, it's not something that like to be long-term. I don't trust it anymore. Um, so that's why I'm going with number three, uh, silver, but like I said, I crossed off natural gas and oil for my entire strategy, so in my head I'm playing with the uh, first um, asset that's the cheapest.
Good. Nice. So, so why don't we move on to some of the questions from last week? The first one that we're going to approach is the option Greeks, and now we actually use them, and now you can use them when you're actually uh, doing your option trades. So. There's four main ones that we're going to talk about. Uh, I, I don't. I, maybe you guys want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about RO, RHO, but let's focus on the main ones. Uh, there's Delta, Gamma, Vega, and um, Theta. I hope I'm saying it right. Uh, Max is going to start with Delta. What about what do you? How do you analyze it? So I'm not a big proponent of the delta i don't usually use it but traders like everson that uh, are really right. into buying options uh that's that's a big key um the delta will analyze how your position is affected based on how many um per dollar increments and it's usually a percentage between zero and one more than the just trades Right, and it allows you to see like how quickly your option will gain value or how quickly it will lose value depending on which uh, it goes for for calls. It's going to be a zero to one value, so it's going to be a positive percentage, and then for puts, it's going to be zero to negative one, so it's going to be a negative uh, percentage. I don't really use it because I don't do a lot of directional trade, but D is for delta. And D also stands for direction. So you're measuring the direction and how it's going to affect your position. Um, so anytime you're doing trades like Everson, buying calls or puts, doesn't matter which one, it helps you identify uh, and project sort of what your potential gain could be for that trade. And when you're dealing with the Greeks, the most important thing is to understand how to deal with them, meaning... So with Delta, a great way to neutralize the Delta if it's affecting your position negatively is to go in the futures on the SPY and buy position the opposite direction where that position will create the opposite percentage in Delta. So your two Deltas will neutralize. So it doesn't matter which direction the stock market goes, your position will no longer be affected because you have two positions that are offsetting that Delta. Um, so that's sort of what I do when I'm, I'm adjusting positions. I'm looking at my uh, my um, Greeks and identifying where my weakness is and neutralizing that weakness. Most of the time, my adjustments are going to be theta. Um, and then second, most adjusted is going to be delta. But uh, usually I can go around that by uh, selling some more time. So Everson, it sounds like you were using it a lot. So what do you have to add? No, I... Basically, it yeah, the deltas. Uh, I am very much prone to doing momentum trades. Um, I recently started to get into you know what you you folks trade at, which is um, selling calls and selling puts, which affects the timeline, um, from my understanding. And I I don't know too much about it just yet. Uh, I'm still sort of learning the positionings, but I'm able to. To uh, spread a, a profit off of it, um, I just find that that for my trading style, I I don't want to dabble too much into it. I would rather just stick to the momentum's. Just better, you make some adjustments, just about better tightening on my part, and uh, and, and the safe money for me is just to uh, buy stock because I can adjust the value based on buying stocks, um, and 
you, you know, I, I think I would, I, I feel like I'd be more prone to shorting stocks than to, into making a, uh, and I know that it's risky. It is risky because it's a margin account at that point. Um, but I, I would be more prone to shorting a stock than really uh, looking looking towards um, selling calls or puts. Um, yeah. But I mean, I, I mean, experience could prove itself otherwise. Uh, not to say that I wouldn't get into uh, more of that, but it's just uh, where I sit right now. Um, I, I, I probably ex- you know experience it a little more um, more out there, but uh, I like I like where I'm at. I like my positions. Uh, all the way across the board. I mean, last three weeks have been really, really good for me. So I, I don't see myself uh, breaking out of this process. Um, I love the momentum. <laughs> well, when you're buying the options like that, your your two biggest mm-hmm. weaknesses are going to be um, Vega, which I think we're going to talk a little bit about later. And the other one is going to be theta because you're having that time decay. So it's like holding right. some sand, and sand is seeping through some of your fingers. Absolutely. And you're trying yeah. to hope that whatever you predicted yeah. will happen before the sand run, runs out. So right. theta and vega are your two weaknesses. Uh, and I, do you do anything to neutralize those when you need to? So it's kind of like what what happened as I was talking about earlier in this show. Uh, what happened in you know this week. Uh, and also uh, previous week where I, I seen a little bit of a bite from the options market and exactly that has, has occurred where um, I've noticed that a lot of the options calls and puts approaching the two weeks would uh, tend to expire worthless. Um, and I think they're looking at um, traders within the money or near the money and they're trying to eliminate that uh, traders from being able to profit, right? So anything that's near, that, that would be any stock that may be near the strike price, either a call or a put. Uh, if you're near that, then they try to get out of that range so you're not making money. So I guess if you changed up the tactics, like then uh, would that be like an iron clod that would kind of create uh, a trap for those? And there's all different strategies. You know, you could be a yeah. straddle, you could do... Um, Iron Cloud, I think, is one that traps it within it just bouncing in between the lines, not going to, not creating too much momentum where it goes to your highs or your lows. And yeah. your shadow would be one that kind of traps them where if your momentum is going to go outside of the money either way uh, on the call side or the put side, you would have a plan in place for that. So essentially, when you start to create, uh, formulate these, these strategies, uh, you're going to get bit by one side. So you're either going to get bit by a put, so you're going to get bit by a call, uh, or you could even get trapped where you get bit by both. Uh, yeah, God forbid. But, I mean, it, it can't happen in, in those cases. It's just, uh, you, you know, for, for me, I don't want to expose myself to too widely. Uh, I did a straddle with AMD, and I did some pretty good profitability with it, um, but it, it's always taking a risk when it comes to that. So I try to just stay clear, keep it simple, and at worst case scenario, just buy stock. So, so a good a good, uh, a good trick that I found uh, while studying options is a lot of traders use delta to kind of predict the probability of the thing 
going your way. So for example, if we go back to my previous example, when I mentioned what I did this week, which failed terribly, right? But when the stock, uh, when USO was at 304, and I set my edge at 250, the delta was at 0.99. So technically, the market considered that, obviously, it was totally wrong this time, but the market considered that there was 99% chance that it would uh, expire above that. So that's one way you can uh, look at it and kind of like if you see an option that's uh, close to the strike price, t uh, the delta is going to be a lot lower because the chance of it going your way is lower than if it's way out of the money, um, which obviously makes sense, right? But one thing that's very interesting, which we're moving on to gamma now, is that the further out you are, um, the lower gamma gamma basically influences the speed that delta is moving so the further out you are the less it's going to impact the speed that delta changes so let's say that you're doing an option for three months out well there's not going to be a huge variation from day to day but the closer you are to the expiration uh, gamma is affecting it a lot more uh, Max, do you have anything else to add to that? I know you're not using it as much, but does oh, that kind yeah. of sum it up? Yeah, basically. But the thing is, gamma is actually a derivative of the, the foundation Greeks. Um, so just use that wisely. Um, so on my charts, I always like to look at the price and the volume. That's where my origin comes from. And so once you start dealing with moving averages and the scotastic uh, uh, and uh, Bollinger Bands, those are all derivatives. And so what I'm saying is that Delta, Theta, and Vega, those are your foundation. Gamma is a derivative of those. Uh, so just use that wisely. It's not the origin. No, I just want to see what speed is going to affect it because what screwed me over... Okay, let's just go back real quick. So one thing that people might want to know is... So when it went from 304 to 303, right? Because it was at 90.99, there was a very strong correlation between the price of the option and delta. But the closer you got to the strike, uh, yeah, the strike price of 250, then the option price would drop slower than delta, and that's what hurt us. So you didn't collect the entire amount, and so that's why the further out you are, the closer the relationship is between delta and the price movement. Again, that sums it up pretty well. I see it differently, but uh, I mean, we can go with that. Okay, so let's move on to uh, your favorite, Vega. Oh, Vega uh, is my favorite. That's my bread and butter. That's what I live on. That's what I pray yeah. to, you know, you name it. Uh, but Vega is 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 very powerful. Um, a great way to follow Vega. Vega stands for volatility. Um, the more volatile the market is, the higher the VIX is. VIX actually keeps track of how volatile the market is. So it's interesting because when the market moves a lot, volatility goes up. But it will go a lot higher faster if the market is dropping. If it's going up significantly, sometimes the VIX will actually go down. Um, so Vega stands for volatility, 
and what happens to your option positions, both the buy and the puts, when the as the volatility goes up, those positions actually increase in value. So let's say you bought a call and the price of the stock doesn't even move, you would actually be making money because the vega, the volatility, will increase the value of your, your call. And same thing would go for a put. Um, so when we're talking about, you know, Everson buying some calls and puts, he has some sand in his hand. That sand will actually seep through his fingers. That's the theta. That's the time decay. But what happens is volatility, as something drops, will actually put more sand in his hand, even though he's losing some on the other end. So um, that's actually very special to, to option buyers. Volatility really helps them as it increases. But the opposite is also true. As volatility uh, retreats from the market, as things start coming down or calming down, you're going to see volatility drop and the option prices are actually going to lose value even if the stock or underlying is actually moving in the direction you want it to. So it's like taking the breath out of the uh, um, the sales. So volatility is very powerful. So do you actually look at every options, Vega, or do you just do like I do and just look at the VIX? Um. I look at every entity, well, so I start with the VIX, right? The VIX and the SPY gives me an overview of what I'm going to look at. And then I funnel down and, you know, when I was in U.S. oil, I would look at the volatility. It would it gives you a range of, you know, the past 52 weeks, um, the high and the low for the volatility. And so if the volatility is really high, then it's a great time to sell options on it because it can't go that much higher and you're getting a great premium for that and then the opposite is true is when your volatility is at the you know I think it's the bottom third bottom third that's usually what I look for if it's within the bottom third it's a great time to buy options because uh, once the volatility starts kicking up then that option will gain value even if the entity doesn't go or the underlying doesn't go your direction so that's another way to make money yeah, that the volatility in the past month or two were very high, so the premiums were much, much higher than they were last year. Uh, it worked in our favor for a while, but not at the end. So, I'm, correction, your favorite, Theta, start talking about it. Uh, theta, what can I say? Um, it has, I mean, it's everything. So theta is just basically the uh, the passing of time, and I think in the last episode we talked a little bit about that. We answered or uh, a question or so, um, but theta starts with a T, which stands for time, and so it's just the passing of time. So when you're selling a position, uh, theta decays from that option, and as that option goes to zero, you make more money. Now, if you're buying the option, the opposite is true. Part of that e extrinsic value will decay all the way to zero, so now you're losing money. So you have the buyers and the sellers that are affected um, oppositely or, you know, differently from theta. Uh, so what I do, my biggest strategy is, is, is selling calls and puts all the time, whether I'm doing spreads, whether I'm doing stock rental, you name it, how I'm entering stock positions. Um, so I always go with theta. Um, and so the reason why theta to me is very powerful 
is because over the weekend my positions make money, but traders that are buying options, they're actually losing money over the weekend because that theta is decaying. Now, they're not being affected by volatility because the market is closed. Volatility is not affecting those positions, but the time decay is. Um, so I'd rather be a seller than a buyer, but it when the VIX goes down significantly, you know, and like that bottom third, maybe bottom 25%, then it's a great time to start um, buying those uh, those options just because you're not going to be affected by your Vega volatility. And it's usually the VIX kind of goes up and down. So when you buy it low, it will come back up and it will expand the value of your position. Yeah, and just to add on to that a little bit, um, I don't know if everyone realizes it, but Theta accelerates massively like in the last few days before expiration. And the reason why is because I, I, try, I always give the analogy of uh, options are kind of like insurance, right? Well, if I sell you insurance three months from now, well, there's a lot of time to go. But if I sell you insurance for tomorrow, obviously the price is going to be much, much, much lower because, you know, I only have one day. So I think that's one good way to see it, why it accelerates exponentially. So what people do, there's two ways to do it. We've been mostly doing shorter trades, trying to maximize that last little bit of theta as opposed to some other traders prefer to invest really long term and where they don't have uh, they don't risk that acceleration which can go up or down uh, either for you or against you so they will trade out of their position maybe like two weeks before expiring um, do you do both max or do you focus mostly on the short term I focus more on the short term um, the the better trader you are, the shorter term you can do. Um, and yeah. so if you're just starting out, you want to go longer term because it's more forgiving. Um, at, when you get into weekly and then on the SPY, I actually do a lot of... Uh, uh, on the SPY, you, it closes on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And so it works really fast. So you really have to know how to adjust positions very quickly. Uh, one thing I do want to talk about, since we're still talking about theta... When the theta is, uh, wow, actually, I'm sorry. When we're talking about Vega, uh, when VIX is very high, a great position that we were talking about is selling time, right? So through theta, you're selling your calls and puts. Um, but what maximizes that is when you can do um, an iron condor. So you basically are selling calls and puts on each side of the market. And then you're actually making money as long as it stays between that gap. But since you've opened your position when the VIX was very high, the VIX is supposed to retrace and the price of the underlying is not supposed to move as much. The opposite is true when the, the, the Vega, the VIX is very low. You can't really sell time because your options is not going to be worth that much. So you do the opposite. You buy options and you can do a straddle. You're going to pay, uh, you know, it's going to be really cheap because you're not paying all that Vega. And then that time decay is not going to affect you that much. Um, so when volatility is high, work with the theta. When volatility is low, you can work with uh, delta, which would be buying the options. That's a very that's good advice. Like, that's kind of like what happened with me uh, as 
you know, we were talking about it, both of you folks had mentioned it, or I had noticed that uh, you, you buy an, an option contract, whether it be a call or put, and I've seen it where the, the manipulation for the companies now plays a big factor. And like what Max is saying, that if you buy it far out, um, it, it's a little less risk, but you, you got to understand that when you start to buy out, you're paying uh, more risks for that premium, right? So as Patrick was saying, uh, it's an insurance. So you're putting an insurance on your money. Uh, one good strategy that I've seen people do is be able to own the stock itself. Um, so you're collecting on the dividend perhaps, and your your overall sentiment is that this stock can, can't go anywhere. Um, but for the time being, maybe it's going through something, you know, it's in a bad relationship right now, and but the overall sentiment is that it's going to go up. You might want to own a put on it, keep the stock, ride the dividend, uh, play it out, uh, maybe set your stop uh, stop loss, stop losses for the stock just in case you know you you want to you could be able to pay yourself back with that stop loss because you're making money as that stock is dropping on a puts. So. You're either going to break even, or you're going to make some money out of it. Either way, you're going to make money off the dividend, make money off the puts. Everson, real quick, have you have you kept track to see what makes you money faster between buying calls and buying puts? It, so I know um, how it works for me. I wanted to see if it worked about the same way for you. When I do the Rainbow Bear strategy uh, on the on the puts, it's uh, <laughs> no. It, it, you get what I'm saying? You have to look at the last week's episode. <laughs> now, yep. to, to, I think it would be dependent on what my strategy would be at the time. Um, yeah. As as you know, as we all know, you know you you're either trading as a uh, you either trading the bear market, so you're doing a lot of a lot of puts, you're shorting stocks and everything, um, or you're you're a bull. So you either are a bear or you're a bull, and um, oftentimes, I like to say that the, the bear market comes quickly and the bull market is a continuum. So it'll happen through time, but you're better off making money on a call, uh, consistent money on a call, as compared to, you know, on on the bear side where it's just like w w what we saw with the market, you know, in the last couple of mon uh, months. In, in, in 20 minutes, of market open, the oil last week, the oil companies uh, or the oil sector made a big difference with the effect of the overall stock market and actually tumbled the stock market. All of your Dow Jones, um, S&P 500, NASDAQ, all of it was affected because of the oil companies. So that came pretty quickly, but we saw a little bit of a pop back and we saw that little money coming in. I think we get that continuing forward. Um, but just, you know, going back, not to run off subject or anything, but just going back to, like, uh, reiterating, you are paying a little more money the higher, the farther out you go uh, for that for that premium. So it's going to cost you a lot more. It's cheaper when you buy closer. But as Max has said, the closer you go, you better know what you're doing because you can get bit, and you can get bit really, really, uh, really soon. Yeah, kind of like when we did our little play on AMC, uh, both you and I, Averson. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we add the right direction, 
you know, we said it was going to go down, but the wrong timing. We picked an expiration date that was too, clo- you know, too, uh, too close, close to in money. time. Yeah. And then our options expired before, you know, the negative events happen. Yeah. So it's very tough. You, like, the further out you are, the more chances you are you have that what you predict is going to happen as opposed to if you go really close to the expiration date it has to happen right away or you're going to expire worthless so Everson, one of the questions that we had last week that's really important because we talked about it many many times is what what are we talking about like when we're talking about resistance with the stocks so i think about two episodes back i i sort of mentioned about it where we, we talked about from peak to trough um when you look at the when you look at a growth of a particular stock, it's called the expansion. So that's going from the top to the peak. The peak is where the resistance level is at. So what a resistance level is at is at the tip of the of the stock. Stocks trade through a volatile pattern, which is that zigzag pattern that you naturally see. So in an expansion process is could be a number of different reasons why a stock will go up, revenue, good earnings, uh, the direction of the company, so fundamentals, uh, just just in the charts in itself. So there's a number of different reasons why a stock would go through an expansion process. But there is also a point where it stops, um, and you know either it breaks that resistance level, which is at the top, it starts to go down which is called a contraction as it starts to contract it hits the trough so from peak to trough the trough at the bottom is called the support level so that support level is where a stock will no longer um, go down further Um, and so at, at that level it's either going to break support or it's gonna need support again and start to work its way back up to the peak uh or as I said before, the expansion process. So this is the explanation of the zigzag patterns that we see naturally in, in stocks. Um, and just so you can be able to get an idea, that's what that's what the resistance levels are, and that's what the uh, the support level is. That's yeah. A so Max, explanation right there. Max, often <laughs> you talk about uh, the resistance and the support, and you always mention that if it goes through the resistance, it's very, very bullish, and if it goes through the support, it's very, very bearish. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Uh, if you're looking at a chart um, and you're drawing your support and resistance, just like Everson explained what they are, um, it's sort of a level that says, hey, you know what, if this stock goes back to $10, I'm going to buy it. You know, there's no way I'm going to let this opportunity slip through my fingers. Well, let's say you buy it at 10 bucks, and the price of the stock actually breaks through that support, that floor. Well, now these people that are like, wait a minute, I thought this was a really good buying opportunity. Now they start getting scared, and they're exiting their positions. And now you also have the um, the reverse, the people that had shorted the stock as it was going down to $10 and below. These people have to exit their position because they're, um, they've made a profit. So once you break through that support, that, that glass floor is no longer your friend, and now it becomes a resistance. Uh, so it's going to take a lot more bulls. Then there are bears in order to break past uh, that resistance. Well, old support that is now a new resistance. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, how do you actually see it? I mean, when I do it, I look at the chart and I try to look at like the past year, but I know that you go much further out than I do. I, what do you suggest people do, especially if they're just starting or, you know, they want to start finding, like, let's say they're looking at a new stock and they want to see, well, what's the resistance and what's the floor? Like, what do you suggest? I, anytime I go to a new stock, you know, that's not, that, that Patrick is, is talking about AMC or Everson's talking about a biotech, which I would never buy, but anyways. <laughs> um, so I immediately go to three months. Uh, that's how I start my research. I'm going to three months. I'm going to sort of see a picture of where the stock is. And if I can't see a, a bottom in the chart and I can't see a top, then I'm going to keep going out further out. Now, if I'm really going to dial in, and, and so that gives me an overview of, of what the stock can do, the possibilities, where the support is, the, the resistance. But if I'm really going to get into a stock and actually get more active, I will zoom out as far as I can uh, onto the monthly charts or the uh, weekly charts. This is a little bit more advanced, takes a little bit more time, but I will actually mark all the support and resistance, the important price points, and I will I actually use purple for those support and resistance. And then I'll zoom in all the way to my daily chart. And then I will color those support and resistances uh, blue. So I don't give them as much value as the long-term monthly and weekly chart uh, support and resistance. And then uh, I actually believe that the hourly chart is pretty important. Um, I, I don't know if you feel the same way, Everson, but so I'll zoom into the hourly chart. Uh, the hourly chart, I use it to look at the moving averages, but I'll also set up some support and resistance on that chart, and I'll call them the I'll color them like yellow, just because they're not very strong, but they are acted upon many times. Uh, it's a very good support and resistance to know about. Um, they aren't as reliable as your daily and weekly, monthly support and resistance, but it can actually help you understand what's happening. Like, why is it retracing in the middle of this channel? Oh, go to the, the uh, one-hour chart, and you're like, oh, that's because there's a double top right there. That's why. You know, I wish I had known that. So once right. I go back out to my uh, daily chart, I still see my yellow line, so I know, like, you know, there's there might be something that's going on around here. Yeah, just for the viewers, I can promise you that every once in a while, Max sends us a text during the day, and he shows <laughs> us, hey, it's reaching its resistance, it might go back down, and stuff like that. It's very entertaining, and most of the time, he's accurate, so pay attention. Yeah. That's something really important, and we actually do... Uh, trades on options using those supports and resistances uh, so for example right now with silver there's one that's pretty stable at 1350 i believe right all right guys so i hope that you guys learned a little bit about these complex topics i mean especially during a podcast without giving you specific examples sometimes it's a little bit difficult to follow um but we hope that you learned it a little bit. Now we'll jump into the chart master himself. Max is going to tell us a little bit about what he sees this week. Nah, don't look around. You know you are. <laughs> you know who you are. So, what do you see coming up this week uh, with your crystal ball? With my crystal ball, 
Well, we are still in that um, in that uptrend, that channel that we had talked about. But what's really interesting is that in the next two days, the next two trading sessions, the SPY, SPI, has to make a decision. Um, I wish you guys could see this, but we sort of have this, this uh, resistance at the price... Um, 286 287 or so and so we are sort of hitting our head against that ceiling but what's also interesting is we are hitting our feet at the, the floor of that uptrend channel that we've been in for a while now so our feet are at the the floor our heads at the ceiling and so one of those points are gonna have to break if we break above that resistance that's gonna be very bullish and I think, you know, I talked to Patrick and Everson, it's going to be a great time to buy some positions, get some calls, that kind of stuff. But if the opposite happens in the next two days where we break through that floor, then it's a good time to get into some put uh, positions um, and then maybe shorting some stock if you have that experience. Um, and then if you're going to sell positions, it's going to be opposite. You're going to um, sell options. Uh, if we break the floor, then you're going to be selling calls, so you collect that theta. And if we break the ceiling, you're going to want to sell puts to uh, collect the theta that way as well. So we're basically in this, this corner here, our heads at the ceiling, our feet at the floor, and we have to figure out which way it's going to go. Um, to be honest, it's pretty hard to, uh, to guess, but looking at the chart, I'm seeing a very... Um, Actually, the volume's diminishing significantly. So just looking at that, looking at that, that little triangle that we're in, it makes more sense for us to hit our head against the ceiling and break the floor. Um, because they're, the volume's di diminishing, uh, so that's usually a bearish sign. Um, when the volume diminishes during a trend, whether it's up or down, that means that that trend is losing... Um, it's energy and I think Patrick uh, talked about it all the time uh, losing steam when is it going to lose steam well it, it looks like it's a process of a losing steam because it's consistently posting less and less volume so that means that trend is going to break pretty soon so I would probably think that we're going to break that floor pretty soon uh, that's about it what I see in the charts if we zoom in onto the hourly chart we're going to see that the the moving averages, the short and long term, they're sort of playing a dance with each other, going back and forth. So we're not really seeing anything uh, until we actually break that ceiling or that floor. And then um, the moving averages will give us a better picture of what's to come. One thing that just came to my mind is, are we in a case where, you know how the tech companies have been going up significantly, and a lot of the other companies have been going down significantly, so do they balance each other out a little bit? So you're saying the tech companies are going up? Well, I mean, obviously there's a NASDAQ versus the... Uh, Dow Jones, but the fact that some sectors are going up and are very stable right now, as opposed to some that are very weak, does it kind of even out? And that's why it's not going up or down like it did a month ago, where everything was going straight down. I think money moves around, right? I mean, yeah. money's not lost, so even even as they print out these stimulus checks and everything, as money kind of moves around, 
it's going to go to a sector, you know, uh, you look at your, and that's kind of like what I wanted to tackle next week as uh, I host the show for the next episode is, uh, you know, what to, what to look, what to look at moving forward or what to buy. Uh, you got your startup companies. There's a lot of startup companies that are happening. Uh, we could, we could look at, you know, on uh, a sector of food trucks, for example, uh, that was one of the biggest moves across the nation was food trucks and a lot of your um, your permanent locations such as your you know cheese, cheesecake factories and things like that um, they had permanent locations where they paid rent and now they're suffering the consequences for that whereas you know people with food trucks they're the happiest can be because they don't you know social distancing doesn't affect them you you can social distance while you're waiting for uh, you know, for your food or as you're standing in line. So um, that's a great startup company is a, is a food truck. Um, you get licensed the same way that you would as a restaurant, but you don't you don't have an obligation to, um, you know, your landlord to pay rent or anything like that. So um, I, I think money, money is going somewhere. It's either going back to the financial institutions, the banks, or uh, it's, it's going into you know food expenses a lot of people buying up toilet papers here at kimberly clark's right there okay pretty good information the other stuff that we're looking for this week is uh, i believe on wednesday we're going to get some crude oil inventories which uh it's going to affect the market I, I guarantee it and the other thing uh that uh will probably will happen thursday is going to be the unemployment claim um, but to be honest even though that's a big number uh, the market has now become desensitized to it. So I don't think that's going to affect the market that much. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's jumped up by millions and millions, and so far people haven't been paying much attention to it. But yeah. eventually the risk is deflation, right? As people get furloughed and laid off, and a lot of people aren't spending their stimulus money, uh, we might see deflation. And that's kind of interesting because of the fact that interest rates are, are almost at zero. So what are they going to do to combat that? But that's for another day. Um, what do you see for next week, Everson? Like, are you looking at something in specific? Um, for next week, uh, I'll, I'll probably still, you know, pattern my dividend strategy. Uh, I will try to leverage some of the risk that I've, um, put in on the options side. Uh, I, I think I had pretty good positions with some of these options trades in which I plan to take profits next week. Um, but I want to reduce the positions with options and I want to bring in positions with, with stocks. But I, I, I see some of the stocks, they've you know, kind of reached a point where I don't know if it could go any further. Um, I, you know, one of them we, I kind of talked about it was the Tesla um, that I was thinking about taking profit soon. So as I see as I see the trade volume start to lessen, as I see momentum start to change, I may be uh, a little bearish in some of them, maybe a little bearish in some of them. But um, I, I am uh, taking a step back on some positions. I am doing sell-offs. So uh, and. and at the end of the day, right, Max? You just uh, profit is a profit. So no matter how big or small it is, take profits. Absolutely. That's what happened with with Snapchat, and I'm glad I wasn't greedy with Snapchat because as it popped, 
took profits. I mean, it, it literally popped like 30% in one day. And I took profits from that. And uh, I'm a happy camper right now. Good, you're riding it. <laughs> so on my end, I just started looking at uh, DraftKings, which uh, became traded this week. It's too early to invest in, but I think that long term, it's going to be something that I'm good. You know, I was I talked many times about adding stocks to your portfolio and your watch list uh, that you look at, follow over time, and kind of see what happens with them, so you can kind of learn. Uh, you know, how it behaves in the market. So that's one stock that I'm going to look at long term. Uh, I like sports betting. It's not legal everywhere, but I think that long term it's a massive industry. And since they're already very well branded and uh, they have all of the infrastructure, as it becomes more and more uh, common and accepted, uh, they'll be in a very, very good spot to uh, dominate that market. So that's one thing I'm looking at. I'm still following Hertz, but Hertz is doing very poorly. I mean, it went from five back down to three something. So again, I'm on the sidelines with that, but just keep looking at what happens with it. And this week, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how the virus progresses. I mean, uh, the curve has been flattened, but it's not really going down very quickly so it looks like this might be the new normal for a long time even though some people are, are mm -hmm. hoping that it won't right. uh, Max I mean you've been following that pretty closely too and you alluded to it earlier that it's been it's going on a little bit longer than you thought um, how do you think that's going to affect the market well um, I think we're, we're in it for a long time um, I think Disney has now made it official that they're going to keep their park closed until 2021. Wow. Uh, now, I, I want to advise yeah, that wow. usually Disney is always a couple of steps ahead of the federal government in terms of safety requirements. Um, but we're headed towards the fall, you know, in September, October, which theoretically high percentage chance that the virus does come back if it goes away during the summer as of right now we have definitely seen a flattening in terms of cases deaths and and uh, recoveries are, are skyrocketing but we're not done yet and, uh, and so it's lasting a lot longer than i expected that's why to me oil didn't make sense because we're not looking at a recovery anytime soon um but now we're getting to the point where people are running out of money and so that 1200 bucks, I mean, it is gone for a lot of people. Yeah. And they're incurring a lot of debt. Credit cards um, are incurring a lot of debt. So some of the companies like American, uh, American Express, Discovery, they're very exposed to this. Um, so it's going to be very interesting. Financial, again, is going to get affected by what's going on. The virus will be here. Uh, a lot longer than I expected, and it's going to affect a lot more of the market. And that's another part why I think the market will retrace and start coming back down, because now we're getting back into the mode of we're going to get more bad news uh, in terms yeah. of ratioized more than good news. Yeah, and historically, uh, models that predict like the recession and when it goes down and everything, uh, had predicted that the bottom would be mid-June. 
not the virus. I'm talking about the uh, Dow Jones. So, uh, you know, we were talking about the dead cat bounce. It didn't quite happen, but according to the model, it was mid-June. So we'll see if it works out or not. So far, it proved that it wasn't accurate, but you never know. So um, one thing that I wanted to just well, think actually, out loud. Before we leave the yep. subject real quick, can I ask both of you guys a question? So yep. that... that triangle that I was talking about. If we break above that resistance, would that make you guys pretty bullish? And then if we break through that, that floor, that angled floor that I was talking about, would that make you guys pretty bearish? Everson, go ahead first. Well, whether, regardless of the direction, uh, whether it be a bear market or, or a bull market, uh, I, I think there's so much manipulation in the market as it is that uh, I think we just. I think from here we see steady increases. Um, I don't see very many declines happening uh, unless it's a recurrence of the, the virus. Uh, if there's a recurrence of the virus, then we see a minor pullback, uh, or maybe even a major pullback. But it's it, it'll get to levels where once you get a strong pullback, um, then you start you know reinvesting in the market again. Um, I don't. I don't think it. Like I said, there's so much manipulation that's happening. I mean, the number one reason why we kept the stock market open is because it's literally the only way that um, you can make money these days. So they're not going to, as, as a nation, you're not going to get rid of it. Um, capitalism in every country is capitalism because it works. And that, that's how, you know, economies stimulate itself um, or, or keep their economy going and thriving. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think it just disappears. Uh, we'll see what happens, but this is the reason why I stay towards buying the stock and staying to and sticking to a dividend play. Uh, but I'm also practicing um, safety precautions through stop losses, uh, and then also, uh, you know, hedging it with your insurance, which is your puts, just in case. Mm -hmm. So. It's good to have a quit. Yeah. And I'm in a tough situation just because of the fact that um, if it breaks the resistance, as you were talking about, I, you know, I'm committing to this answer. I don't really believe it. To me, that's pure speculation. I still believe that there's way more space to go down than we've seen yet. Um, so far, like every company that reports its earnings, the earnings aren't very good. But we all expected it. But yeah. as time goes on, like two months from now, if the earnings are still bad and companies aren't recovering, I think that's when the economy, I mean, the stock market is going to really go down. Because right now, how many times in the past few weeks have we said it's priced in, it's priced in? Yeah, but everyone has been thinking that the recovery would be fairly quick. But if the curve is flattened and this lasts for six months, and as you said, like companies like Disney are already shutting down until next year. The earnings are going to be dismal. Some companies are going to do really well, like Netflix that got 16 million new subscribers. Right. But, you know, far and wide, companies are going to really struggle. Um, are, are you guys, any of you, uh, worried about deflation, or is it just me? Not worried about it. Yeah, I mean, when I, I think more importantly than earnings because you, you had like an American, American Express you had an earnings beat 
forgot what it was, like 30% or something like that, earnings beat. But regardless of the earning, earnings beat, you had a profitability decrease. So your revenue stream was reduced. So I think what's more important than earnings would be your revenue. If your revenue is affected, um, I, I think that matters a little more than whether you have an earnings or not. I mean, obviously, earnings is important, but if you can't produce the business, uh, you know, for instance, that's just a credit card company, right? Um, they, they're, like you said, subject to people paying off their bills. Uh, the only reason why revenue would be a little lower is because they're not offering any more loans as, as easily as they did before. They're not they're not going to extend secured or unsecured. Well, they're not going to extend unsecured credit as easily as they as they did. Um, so we're right looking more towards right on cue. The coronavirus patient. I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, so what money moves around? I mean, you know, I you think that I don't know if you can hear me. Yeah. So. You would think that there is nothing that you could invest in that you would be able to, you know, spin up. Arison, are they coming for you? <laughs> no, that, that's an ambulance. <laughs> uh, like I look at Amazon, right? They're one of the only companies that's hiring during, during the season. Uh, and they mitigated their risk uh, through infection by not uh, delivering packages. So they're dependent upon FedEx and UPS. So... These are companies that are essential. This they'll be around, um, and we'll talk a little bit more about those um, next week. But uh, it's you know look, looking forward. Uh, I'm kind of looking that's at exciting. that. But <laughs> there's, there's a lot. There's a lot more to come. And All right, guys. Well, that kind of that kind of wraps up this show. I hope that you guys learned a little bit. Uh, we did our best. Some of these topics are a little bit complicated, but hopefully you learned a little bit. Please give us your feedback if you liked it. Uh, having this format where it's a little bit more structured, or if you like when we're free-flowing and just, you know, speaking our mind. So please subscribe. Uh, put a comment in the description. Uh, Put a comment. We really appreciate your feedback. And we'll see you next week. Signing off. All right, guys. Thank you.